You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So I left you hanging um, in the last show with a story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly go over the beginning of the story again. I wanted to get to the end. I think it's a beautiful story. So I'm to put a cherry on the top to the last show, and then we'll get into what I want to talk about now. So the story we were talking about was in, uh, in um, 2014, there was a major snowstorm in Israel, Jerusalem. There was a young couple who just got married. They were expecting a Shabbos Shevabrachas, the Shabbos party with all the family, and they were expecting to have all their relatives and parents and grandparents and cousins and siblings and uncles and aunts. It's a very fun time. It's really, really very beautiful. But there was a snowstorm, and nobody was budging. So they were stuck. Whatever community they had moved to, so they were there, they weren't already in Jerusalem. The families in Jerusalem, they are not going to make it. You can't travel the roads. It's impossible. Okay, so they're going to be by themselves for Shabbos. A little lonely and a little disappointing, but uh, okay, so goes life. Anyways, so he goes to wherever synagogue he was going to be praying, and he's like new to the neighborhood. And he goes to the Gabbai, and he says, uh, um, can I have a, an aliyah tomorrow? Do I, can I get called up to the Torah? Now, it's interesting. He was asking for it Friday night. Usually, you, you would ask for it Shabbos morning, but he wanted to protect himself. So the Gabbai says, oh, do you have yard site? Because normally when somebody comes over uh, to the person who's in charge of giving out, uh, calling up to the Torah, to the aliyahs, if a person asks to be called up, usually it means there's a parent that had passed away, and it's the anniversary of their death. It's the yard site. So he says, no, um, I am a chassan. I'm recently married. I'm in the middle of Sheva Brachis, and um, so I'm in line. Oh, of course, no problem. Um, where's Shabbos Sheva Brachis? Where's the party? Well, you know, you see the roads, all this snow. It was supposed to be in Jerusalem, but we couldn't make it to Jerusalem. Our family couldn't make it here. We're just going to be in our apartment. Oh, very interesting. Where do you live? So he's told the apartment number, fine. Okay. After prayers, he goes home, sits down with his wife, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. He says to his new bride, did you expect anyone to come? Uh, no, well, we don't even know anybody here yet. Well, let's go open the door. Opens the door. There are 20 men standing outside with food. And behind them are their wives. Forty people pack in. Some have chairs. They brought tables. I don't know where they fit. And they made a... Everyone just brought their own Shabbos meals. And they opened up the tables, and the women, and the men, and all of a sudden, this young couple that was all disappointed because there's a snowstorm. So, oh, God, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you make it snow? Why'd you ruin my Shabbos? All of a sudden, there's 40 people in this teeny apartment. 
Well, the next morning by the Shabbos day meal, the number doubles. More people heard. More people bring food. And I believe for the Shabbos afternoon, the Shalashudas, they just did it in shul because then it was double that. It was humongous. It was beautiful. As somebody says, who's like your nation, Israel, me, Kamchi, Israel? Of course, all these people understood that it's very depressing to be alone when you're first married, when you're expecting a whole family party and there's no one to get involved in what's happening and you're a little down. So these people understood we can make them happy. How hard is it? We will make the party for them, which is really just such a wonderful, heartwarming story. And that was to end off when we talk about complaining, we got we to gotta get our eyes focused in the right direction and get rid of the complaints and see how we can make life beautiful. Okay. So I always find this Torah portion amazing. I find it amazing. Pharaoh has a terrible memory. Um, the Jewish people have been out traveling for three days. Really, by the time he gets the message, it's more like six days. And he finds out they're not coming back. They borrowed our gold and silver and they've left. And the Pharaoh had thrown them out of the country um, just a few days before. And he gets the message, the Jews are not coming back. And he says, what? The Jews are not coming back? That is outrageous. Who they said they were coming back after three days. Now that was an old story. And Pharaoh starts communicating and saying, What were we thinking? Why would it wh- whose idea was it to send those Jews out? What were we thinking? And Pharaoh gets his army together and he's gonna chase after the Jewish people. God will split the Red Sea and the Jews will travel into the sea. And uh, the Egyptians will follow, the Jews will come out of the water, and the Egyptians will stay in, and God will have the waters come crashing down, and that's the end of the Egyptian army, and the Jewish people are now totally free. That's the gist. So, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the wording of the verse, the verse says, when we leave Egypt, we went out biyad Rama." which literally translates an outstretched arm. We went out tall and proud. We went out standing tall, standing proud, even though we didn't know it was what was going to happen. We talked in the last show about all the complaints that happened. But as we leave Egypt, we are proud of who we are. We're proud to be the Jewish nation. We are proud to leave Egypt. We walk out strong, uh, tall and strong. So I heard a beautiful story about standing tall. Now, the truth is, I didn't realize as I was preparing this story for the show, this story is really way longer, and there's many more details. But we're just going to do part one of the story. It's a pretty pretty long story, but I'm sure you can find it online. If you're looking for it, the story is with a Rabbi Klatsko. It's Rabbi Klatsko is a very famous rabbi. He's like a rabbi's rabbi. As he travels the country... Um, to different college campuses, teaching um, rabbis how to answer questions. It was those basic questions about faith that uh, that the unaffiliated or people will ask. So on the campuses and really in other places, um, the rabbis need to be equipped with how to answer those questions. They may sit and study Talmud all day. They may know all kinds of Jewish law. They may know the Bible backwards and forwards. But when it comes to philosophy and certain types of uh, faith-based questions, they don't have a question, but they don't know the answers that ring true with people. 
So he goes around and he teaches people, you know, how to correctly answer these questions. And, uh, okay, that's one of the things he does. So he talks about, he's telling the story. He says, you know, even when he's meeting with these different rabbis, if his wife calls him, he generally will pick up the phone. Now, he lives in Muncie. So his wife calls him, and she says to him, God loves us, right? And he says, yeah. And um, everything God does is for the good, right? And he says to his wife, you're scaring me. So she says, well, the good news is everybody's safe. All the kids, everybody's healthy, no problem. So he says, okay, and the bad news? Uh, the bad news is our house just burned down. Okay, but everybody's safe, fine, I'll come home, we'll have to figure out what to do. So he goes back, and uh, okay, insurance and stuff, and I have to find a new place to live. And he's a person that would have a large group on Shabbos. He could have 60, 70, 80, 90 people that would come to his house on a regular Shabbos for the Shabbos meals, for Friday night, for for a Shabbos day. This is one of the things he does. He entertains a lot of people. Now, I may have large crowds sometimes in my house, um, but not like that. There are people that live to entertain and to bring the beauty of the Sabbath to people who haven't seen it. And uh, this is one of the things he does. So as they're rebuilding... You know, they're looking, he says, there's a few things that he and his wife decided. We like to entertain. We want a lot of people coming to our Sabbath meals. Um, we need a dining room that can easily hold 70 people. And this has got to be a humongous room. Yeah, we'll have bedrooms and stuff and, and a kitchen will be able to serve. But it's very important that the setup of the house allows for long tables, maybe multiple long tables, where we can hold 70 guests. I mean, if you figure, um, if you even have it uh, two tables next to each other and you want 70 guests, you're having 35, so it's really 16. So you need a good, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 feet in one direction, probably another 20 feet in the other direction, probably would cover it. Maybe 35 feet. I mean, it's a humongous room. Don't get me wrong. It's humongous. Okay. Then he says, you know, because we have all these people in our home for uh, on a regular weekly basis, it would be nice if I have my own room where the men can pray and I'll need a Torah scroll. I need a Torah scroll. Now, it's expensive to buy a new Torah scroll. It's probably even expensive to buy a used Torah scroll. This is not something that, uh, you know, he can just pull out of the hat forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to buy himself a Torah scroll, but he knows he needs one. So he looks in the in the ads. I, I guess there are places to look for people selling Torah scrolls. Anyways, um, he he sees an ad. He's a Muncie. This uh, ad is for somebody in Philly who has a Torah scroll. So he calls the guy, and the guy says, yep, I have this Torah scroll. Um, it's a very small one. It's 11 inches tall. So 11 inches is, you know, it's almost like the size of a, of a piece of loosely paper. It's just a little bit bigger. So I said, wow, 11 inches, like a perfect size. He says it's 200 years old. The writing is beautiful. Let me drive it up and show it to you. So he says, come on, you're gonna, I'm not guaranteeing 
that I'm buying your Torah scroll. You, you're going to make a three-and-a-half, four-hour trip. The guy says, no, I insist. Um, anyways, it's Sunday. I'm not going to be working. Um, please let me drive it up to you. So he brings it up, and, he's, and he opens up the Torah scroll, and it's beautiful. It's clear. It's clean. It's neat. And he doesn't want to show how excited he is because, like, in business, as soon as I show you I'm excited, the price doubles. And he says, you know, this guy says, to him, let me tell you the story. You know, my father was a rabbi in the Catskills many years ago. He had his own synagogue, and this was the Torah scroll that they used until finally there was no one left um, to, to use this Torah scroll anymore. And this very classical starts saying, like, wow, we could dance with it, and we could sing with it, and we can make bar mitzvahs with it, and, and a Torah scroll that was once used could be reused and re-brought back to life. And he's getting so excited, and he's kicking himself as he's saying, you know, how, how much uh, use they're going to get out of this, this beautiful Torah scroll. And the man starts crying. The man starts crying. He says, he says I wish I had met you as a kid. I wish when I was growing up, they, you know, I had a lot of questions and there was no one around to answer my questions. So every time I asked my father something, he didn't know the answer. He says, we don't ask questions, which, by the way, in my show, we try to teach you to only ask questions. You ask questions and you got to find the right person who knows the answers. A lot of people who know the right answers. You got to sometimes look a little bit, but they're all out there. For whatever reason, there was a time in history, you know, probably in the early 1900s and even through the middle 50s, where people were sort of like, uh, you know, you don't ask. You don't ask. So he says, this man says, I grew up, I wasn't allowed to ask. I went away to college. I knew very little about being Jewish. My father died when I was 15. So there was then there was no one to help me. I went to college. I actually met a Buddhist lady in college and we got along well and we had a relationship and uh, I wanted to marry her and she says you know uh, um, you can't marry me unless you convert and you know, I didn't really know anything so uh, who cares I converted um, so this Torah scroll has been gathering dust so he leaves the Torah scroll with Rabbi Klatsko and he says you keep the Torah scrolls. Right? Classical saying over the story says, so think about it. His father did not know how to show how proud he was to be Jewish. He didn't have the ability to give over to his child how proud he was, how important it is, how beautiful it is to be Jewish. So the guy just goes and marries somebody who's Buddhist because he doesn't have anything to hold on to. That is way more to that Torah scroll about standing being tall. But um, I just wanted to get to that part of the story. Just that this Torah scroll is just the lesson of if, I, if I'm not proud of who and what I am and I do not give over to my children, which is something we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, if I don't give over to my children how proud I am to be Jewish, then why would they want to be Jewish? And now I have another story. I think this story is also fairly recent. I don't have all the details. But again, it gives the same message about standing tall 
and being proud of who and what you are. I personally, when I tell stories, I, I, I dislike when people give a lot of explanations and, 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 and they talk, you know, about the story for the information they don't have. But unfortunately, some of the information here I don't have. Um, but there's a certain type of judgeship where it seems it's not political and it's a very, a very important level of judges and I'm not sure what it is. But to reach this level, I'm sure somebody will email me to give me more details how exactly this works. Um, but what happens is there's almost like a contest. So you, you'll start out with like 200 judges and they'll all take a test and they'll whittle down the number to 50. And then they'll give another test and they'll whittle it down to 20. And then there'll be a third test and it'll whittle it down to about five. And of those five, they'll pick three. And of those three, they will go in front of a panel of judges. And after a day of being grilled, uh, the judges will knock out one more. And the other two will get this very coveted position of being a judge. One time, one of the three people was an Orthodox Jew, which meant he walked around and he wore his yarmulke. So on the day of when he was coming to the courthouse for the final grilling or testing or whatever it was going to be, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know who these judges were. Would they, would they look down at him? Because remember, they just need an excuse to dismiss one of the three. So I have my yarmulke, I wear my yarmulke on my head, and they're going to look at me, an Orthodox Jew, and they're going to, I don't know if they're anti-Semitic or not, like, maybe they're going to say, you know, why does he have to show off who he is, who does he think he is, was he trying to send a message to us? So he walks into the building, and he puts his yarmulke in his pocket, he takes it off. Goes up the steps, and he says to himself, no, no, I should wear it, puts it back on his head. Walks down the hallway, gets to the elevator, walks in the elevator, takes the yarmulke off, gets to the top of the elevator, and the door opens, takes it off, walks down the hallway, puts it on, by the door, takes it off, puts it on, finally says, nope, that's it. I am going to wear my yarmulke, come what may be. After many hours back and forth and, and discussions and talking and, and riddles and who knows what they do, so the, the panel of judges calls the three judges in and says, um, you two guys are in, um, and they told the Orthodox Jew, you lose. We're very sorry, you worked very hard. Obviously, you're well qualified because you made it into the final three, but uh, someone can't make it, so it's you. So this fellow had a little chutzpah in him, so he says, um, to your honor's mind, can I ask you why I lost? Like, I would like to know, like, maybe I could have done something better. Why did I lose? So the judges said to him, that's a fair question, and we, we are happy to tell you why you lost. You see, if you think that we don't do a lot of research into who and what you are before you get to this point, you are sadly mistaken. To get to this point... You need to be somebody that we can trust to be on this level of judgeship. When you walk into this building, we have cameras all over the place. We knew you were an Orthodox Jew. 
we knew you normally walk around with a yarmulke, and we saw that as you walked in elevators and hallways and staircases, you could not make up your mind what you should do. You're a wishy-washy person. The level of judgeship we need over here, we need somebody who is so confident that when he makes a decision, it is with complete confidence. Confidence. And we are we saw by how you acted that you don't believe in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, then we can't trust you to be confident in your decisions. Well, usually, you know, you think the story is going to the opposite way. But here, he did not, as we say, stand tall. He was not proud of who and what he was. Therefore, he couldn't make a proper decision. And therefore, he lost out on that position that he clearly wanted, which is, again, so all about standing tall. So I have a few minutes left. So next week is a fun Jewish holiday. Um, there's no really major celebration. It is called Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat is the 15th day of the month of Shvat. And for the most part, again, it is called a holiday, but for the most part, it's, it's it applies in the land of Israel. It is, uh, as the Sefer Todah says, it's when the land, the strength of the land is renewed, the the, the sap, the juices in the trees are starting to grow, and it makes a difference for um, when we look at the crops and we look at trees, we look at it, when is this crop starting, when is this crop ending, when is the new crop, when is the old crop, and it has rules and regulations for the tithes that are given to the priest and to the Levite and, and other stuff. So it is interesting um, it, it, it applies to the land of Israel. So the verse says that because we are God's firstborn, so God gave us the land of Israel. Now, you know, the land of Israel, a pretty small place. Right? It's not very big. So you got to wonder, if I'm God's firstborn, right, this is what you give me. You can't give me some some vast country with full of all the resources that anybody could ever want. So, the, so, obviously, the question is the answer. The, the land of Israel is the best place for the Jewish nation to grow as a nation, as a people, as individuals. That's the best for us. Now, interesting enough, there's another concept. The Hebrew word for that concept is tsnios. The, the best English translation is modesty, but it's not only modesty of dress, it's modesty of how we act. We're not ostentatious. We keep to ourselves. We learn that beauty comes from within. That's how we grow as people. You want to grow as a person. You want to you want to be a respected, a good, honorable, healthy, mentally fit person. The growth has to come from within. So it's interesting. So these two ideas are actually interconnected. We're supposed to be in a small country. We're supposed to be unassuming, right? We're not so good at that, by the way, right? That's maybe one of our problems, right? But the idea is God gave us a small country. We're supposed to have an unassuming personality. And through both of them, they will help us grow spiritually. You know, it's the idea of the Jewish people having the land of Israel. And it's a holiday where um, people like to eat fruit, 
make blessings on those fruits that the the land of Israel is uh, is considered praised with. That's the olives and dates and figs and grapes and olives and did I say them all right? Grapes, olives, figs, dates, pomegranates, right? And then also wheat and barley. Right, so there's an idea of making a blessing, and even what's called the shachiyonu blessing, which is a special blessing that you make when you haven't eaten the fruit for a year, or when it's a new season. The idea of making a blessing on the fruit again is a spiritual act, right? In other words, I'm taking my physical, and I want to turn my physical into spiritual, right? So if my goal, it was so interesting last night. I was studying with a friend where we were studying Masil Shisharim, and the Masil Shisharim has this most famous parable that a person goes through life is like going through a corn maze. So you don't know where you're going. You don't know what's right, what's left. And there's a guy on a podium in the middle. And the guy is telling you, turn left, turn right, go straight. He's telling you what you're supposed to do. And and if you listen, you'll get to to this podium. So the Mesut Sharm explains, or the, I think Ray Twersky explains on this Mesut Sharm. He says, this parable is only good if you believe that there's a goal in life. If there's a goal in life and I'm going through a maze, then I have to ask somebody, how do I get to where I'm going? But if you don't believe there's a goal in life, well, then why would you listen to anybody telling you where to go? And that's what's happening. And the music is playing. And of course, as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David, Cisco, and Andy in the back. I have left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRF Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.